Proverbs 12 and 25. Anxiety in the heart of man causes depression, but a good word makes it glad. This evening, I want to teach and preach from this passage in the Bible as a whole about a good word. Would you just look at your neighbor and say a good word? God bless you. may be seated. I trust the guidance of the Lord last Wednesday at the end of our time of worship as we was exalting and magnifying him just before hearing the word of the Lord last week. I felt that small, still voice, that impression of the spirit uh, that I was to speak on this topic this evening. And I trust the Lord in his guidance and knowledge. Amen. Amen. Sticks and stones may break my bones. I'm so old, nobody knows the saying. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. What a joke. As a child, I remember this saying being well rehearsed by this one very precious lady whose uh, home was a, a place that I spent a lot of time in. But even as a child, when uh, I knew and I recognized, and I was not a prophet nor the son of a prophet, but I recognized that what she was saying did not match what I saw on her face, nor what I felt in her spirit. Because no matter how cute or poetic that saying may be, it's just not true. And I dare say that every single one of us at some point has been deeply stung by the piercing words of others. Our self-worth has been crushed, dreams deflated, relationships severed over words. I've shared this before, but as a uh, fledgling trumpet player, as a young teenager, that's right, um, I vividly remember the crushing blow of my music teacher's foolish words. Sure, I can't clap on time. And I did not have an innate sense of rhythm and beat, but I could read music and I did like to play. But his demissive words so discouraged me that I quit playing altogether. So words hurt, sting, they're powerful. And I suspect that all of us have experiences that affirm in, all, in our own lives the power of what we say. But it is God through his infallible word that provides the ultimate affirmation of the power of our words. Proverbs 18 and 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it, or those who like to talk a lot, will eat its fruit. I really don't think you can add any more to that to understand the power of what you say. Your words have the power of life or the power of death. 
James, the half-brother of Jesus, speaking to spiritual leaders and really to the church at large, had this to say about the power of our tongue in James 3 and 3. He said, we can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth. And a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. In the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches. How many of you have ever ridden a horse? It's good. Think about the size and the muscular power of that horse. And yet as you rode that horse, for better or worse, you controlled it to some level of skill with just a tiny little bit, maybe the size of your pinky finger. Anybody ever been on a cruise? Bless your heart. Think about how massive a cruise liner is. Dozens of floors, thousands of people, and yet that massive cruise liner is controlled by a pilot who is steering with this small, relatively small rudder in the back. Can you see in your mind's eye the picture that James is trying to paint about the power and the danger of our words. But he's not finished because James continues now to illustrate that destructive power that can be in our tongue when he writes, but a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. And among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness, corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire, for it is set on fire by hell itself. James continues to summarize this dangerous power of unrestrained words when he says, people can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It is restless and evil, full of deadly poison. And, and I know right now you're saying, okay, 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 okay. I get it, I get it, I get it. My words are powerful. Um, but, but, you know, I, I don't mean to say hurtful things. I mean, I don't even know where that come from. They, they just slip right out of my mouth before I can think about it. Well, I've heard that before, but, but Jesus had something to say about that, about the source of our words and the consequences of our words. And at the same time as only Jesus could do, he was rebuking the Pharisees and teaching the disciples. And here's what he said. A tree in Matthew 12 is identified by its fruit. If a tree is good, its fruit will be good. If a tree is bad, its fruit will be bad. You brood of snakes. Guess who he's talking to there? The Pharisees, not the disciples. How could evil men like you speak what is good and right? 
For whatever is in your heart determines what you say. Out of the abundance of the heart, when translation says, the mouth speaks. A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart, and an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. And I tell you this, you must give an account on judgment day for every idle word you speak. The words you say will either acquit you or they will condemn you. So quite simply, brothers and sisters, words do not accidentally slip out of our mouth. Your words, no matter how embarrassed you are about what you say, those words come from within. They come from our heart, that center of our being, our emotional and mental state. You see, your words and my words, they reflect who we really are. And our words and our actions demonstrate the true state of our relationship with Jesus Christ. So, then it is true that what we say to one another is eternally significant. It matters what you say. So much so that Jesus said that I'm accountable for every idol and every careless word that I say. Now to be clear and to not strike silent terror on you at home, Jesus isn't condemning light-hearted conversations. You can laugh. What Jesus is speaking about is worthless words that would be better left unspoken and words that do not have matching works like unpaid vows and unbroken promises. And Jesus said, you are accountable for every idle word. Words, words, they're powerful. And as Pastor Johns will occasionally say, they're all we have. But they are meaningful and they are powerful and they are eternally significant. And here's the harsh reality for you and I this evening on this Wednesday night as we gather here in the sanctuary and join online is that without the controlling power of the Holy Spirit, our words are often weaponized for ill intent. Without the rule of the Word and the Spirit in my life, I can have all the best intentions and I can intend and I can mean well and I can say I didn't mean that, but the truth is, is without the work of the Spirit reigning in my heart and ruling in my mind, I will weaponize my words. Breaking hearts, splitting friendships, inciting anger, sowing disunity, pushing perversion, destroying dreams. Our words matter. Listen to the devastation described in Proverbs of carnal, selfish, or sinful words. Proverbs 11 and 9 says that with their words, the godless destroy their friends. Proverbs 2 and 16 says that wisdom 
will save you from the immoral woman, from the seductive words of the promiscuous woman. Words, when they are weaponized, they destroy and they seduce. Proverbs 18 and 6 says, Fool's words will get them into constant quarrels and, and are asking for a beating. The mouths of fools are their ruin and they trap themselves with their lips. Proverbs 18 and 8 continues and says, Rumors are dainty morsels that sink deep into one's hearts. And the jury translation of that is, is that gossip deeply wounds its subject. Proverbs 25 and 18, telling lies about others is as harmful as hitting them with an ax. That'll get you arrested. Wounding them with a sword, that'll get you arrested. Or shooting them with a sharp arrow, and that will send you to jail for life. But your words, when weaponized, are, have the same impact on a person as to take an axe and club them in the head or to take a sword and slice a, a limb off or to take a bow and arrow and pierce them through with, its, with an arrow. No wonder then that Paul and Peter would provide strong warnings to us as New Testament spirit-filled believers and followers of Jesus Christ. Paul said, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth but what is good for necessary edification that it may what? Impart grace. In verse 31, he says, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. To Titus, he said about these Christians who were not always uh, described with uh, flattering terms, Paul said, they must not slander anyone and must avoid quarreling. Instead, they should be gentle and show true humility to everyone. Paul to the Ephesians in 5 and 11 said, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them. In secret, and Peter would say, therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy, all envy, and all evil speaking words, when weaponized, have bad company. Amen. 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 And so the Bible admonishes us as spirit-filled disciples that no, we should not let evil communication come from our lips. Instead, we are to speak words that heal, and we are to speak words that mend, and we are to speak words that inspire, and we are to speak words that encourage, and words that save others. Just as we saw in Ephesians 4 and 29 about no corrupt word, Paul said, hey, what you speak should be good, it should be edifying that it may impart what? Grace to those who hear it. In 32, he continues on in this theme and he's, it's the context, he's talking about many things, but he's talking about the words that we say. 
Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. The writer of Hebrews would admonish us that we should consider one another to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Why? As the matter of some, but exhorting one another, encouraging one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. To the Colossians, Paul said, live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so you will have the right response for everyone. Here are the benefits described in Proverbs when you and I choose a good word. The writer of the Solomon would write, the words of the godly are a life-giving fountain. The words of the wicked conceal violent intentions. 12 and 18, the Proverbs says, some people make cutting remarks, but the words of the wise bring healing. A good word, a good word, it brings healing. It brings blessing. It brings comfort. It brings, bad words bring confusion when your iPad crashes or gets lost. The Lord is good. Good words are like a gentle answer that deflects anger. Good words are gentle words in Proverbs 15 and 4. They are a tree of life. Proverbs 15 and 30, a cheerful look brings joy to the heart and good news makes for good health. 16 and 24 says, kind words are like honey, sweet to the soul, and healthy for the body. 25 and 11 says, timely advice is lovely, like golden apples in a silver basket. In our text this evening in Proverbs 12 and 25, that anxiety in the heart of a man causes depression but a good word makes it glad. If ever there was an hour, if ever there was a time when we needed to both hear and share a good word, it is right now. Our world is imploding from polarizing slander, unrestrained rage, cultural shaming, relational isolation, rampant distrust, and seductive perversion to only name a few of the ingredients that are waiting to blow up in our Western culture. And the result is, is that as brothers and sisters in Christ, we are surrounded by other brothers and sisters who desperately need to hear a good word. They come and go. They sit on our row. They go to their car. They go to their job. They show up for small group. They come to move the mission walkathon. They're here, and you may not see it by the outward smile and, and the godliness that marks their life. But inwardly, they are desperately in need of a good word. We are surrounded by unbelievers. We are surrounded by pagans. And we are surrounded by those that are their own worst enemies. But nevertheless, 
They desperately need to hear a good word. They need a good word. But you and I can sit here and say amen and agree and believe that. But the reality is, is that no matter how much we agree and no matter how well-meaning our intentions and efforts may be, that you and I alone are incapable of speaking a good word. Sometimes maybe, but consistently never. But here is the good news for you and I, and here is where we are held accountable. And that is when we are born again of water and spirit, we are transformed into a new person, a new identity. We are transformed into a lady or a man who is capable of always speaking a good word, who is capable of having words that are a life of well, a well of life-giving support, who have the ability to always speak what is pleasant and what is timely and what is right and what is true and what is of a good report. Paul said to the Corinthians in his second letter, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. And so no conversation of this world, nothing that Proverbs described as an evil report, nothing that Paul and Peter said should never mark our lives, none of those things should ever be evident in our lives because we are a new creation. And all things have become new. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. This transformation that Paul is writing of is not, though, just about your Acts 2.38 experience. It's not just what did happen to you. It's what is happening to you. For it is a continuing work of sanctification. It is the continuing work of the Word and the Spirit. And Paul would describe it this way to the Ephesians. He said that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and then that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you now put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. And so, yes, I'm thankful for being baptized in Jesus' name and receiving the gift of the Spirit and the forgiveness of my sins. And that was the best day of my life when I came into covenant with the Lord Jesus Christ. But God did not save us to put us on a shelf and to dwell there and get dusty until he returns. He did not save us for us to go back into the slop of where we came and our words spew forth that which is not wholesome and not helpful, but weaponized and hurting. God saved us that we would walk with him, that we would daily dwell with him, that we would daily be transformed by his word and spirit. 
I'm trying to convey what I feel in my spirit. I don't know, but I, I sense and see that we are surrounded by people. And I'm not just talking about sinners. We are surrounded maybe even in this sanctuary by people who are drowning in a sea of self-worthlessness. They are drowning in a hidden sea of depression. They are drowning under fear and anxiety and utter helplessness. So it is imperative that you and I, as believers and followers of Jesus Christ, that we are engaged in this process, that we are putting off the old, that we are being renewed by the Spirit, and that we are putting on a good word, that we are living a life that is sensitive to the Spirit, and that we can go guided like a laser-guided missile, and our words can give life and hope and salvation and inspire to believe for another day. To this end, I, I've learned, you're, you're all spiritual, I know. You know, you just talk in tongues and quote the Psalms and the poetic Proverbs and you've never had a bad day. But I've learned that I have to regularly read and ponder and pray through scriptures of repentance and renewing because I've said this before because it's just true, but I can go from spiritual to carnal in about 10 seconds it takes a car to cut me off. And where do those words come from? It's there. It's there. And so I have to bring myself in to the word of God. And in Psalms 139, and I say it, and I read it, and I quote it, and I pray it. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Lord God, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew within me a steadfast spirit, O God. In Psalms 19 and 14, David said, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, let it be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. My words are eternally significant, and I am speaking to eternal beings. God, help me to let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you. Psalms 141 and 3 said, A guard, O Lord, over my mouth and keep watch over the door of my lips. Because if ever there was a time that we needed to both share and hear a good word, it's right now. He had been discreetly anointed the next king as a boy. He had triumphed over Goliath. He had led Israel to a great victory. He'd been celebrated by the masses. He served in the inner circle of King Saul. But now all of that had been ripped away by the jealousies and evil spirits maddening King Saul who now relentlessly sought to kill David, to find him, to execute him. Running for his life, David found himself battling loneliness, confusion, maybe depression, discouragement, Certainly emotional and physical exhaustion. But David had a friend named Jonathan. Ironically, the oldest son of King Saul. Their enduring friendship had been forged over the years and it had been sealed with a covenant of mutual support. 
Jonathan loved and he served his father, King Saul. But he nevertheless remained loyal and true to David. He astutely recognized that David would be the next king. So on this day, he secretly made his way to a vulnerable and a discouraged David. 1 Samuel 23 and 16, And Jonathan went to find David and encouraged him to stay strong in his faith in God. Don't be afraid, Jonathan reassured him. My father will never find you. You're going to be the next king of Israel, and I will be next to you as my father Saul is well aware. So the two of them renewed their solemn pact before the Lord. And Jonathan returned home while David stayed. This would be the last time recorded that Jonathan would ever, that David would ever see Jonathan alive. But when David most needed a good word, Jonathan was a friend who showed up with a word of encouragement said, don't be afraid. You're going to be the king. God always keeps his word. Jonathan had a word that comforted David in a season of loss. Jonathan had a word that strengthened David when he was weak. Jonathan had a word that encouraged David when he was distraught. And David patiently waited on the Lord. And David became the greatest king of Israel from whose lineage would be born our Lord Jesus Christ all because of a timely and a good word. Was our text this evening, anxiety in the heart of man causes depression. But a good word makes it glad. There are brothers and sisters in Christ and they need to hear a good word. We are surrounded by a world of fellow human beings separated from God and they desperately need to hear a good word. Listen to this C.S. Lewis quote that was included in the recent funeral program of the well-known Presbyterian pastor and author Tim Keller. This is the quote. It is a serious thing to remember that the dullest, most uninteresting person you can talk to may one day be a creature which if you saw it now, would, you would be strongly tempted to worship. Or else a horror and a corruption such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. All day long, we are in some degree helping each other to one or the other of these destinations. It is in the light of these overwhelming possibilities. It is with the awe and the circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all of our dealings with one another, all friendships, all loves, all play, all politics. There are no ordinary people. You have never 
talk to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilization, they are mortal, and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit in mortal horrors or everlasting splendors. If our words can wound, incite, destroy, slander, pervert, separate, and kill, then how much more can our words heal and mend and reconcile and inspire and encourage and forgive and save? So I'm asking the Lord to help me sharpen my awareness of the eternal souls that surround me and the power of my words to affect their eternal destinations. I'm asking the Lord to help me be a Jonathan to a brother or a sister, to be an ambassador of reconciliation to an unbeliever. I'm asking the Lord to help me share everlasting splendor, to speak a good word, to speak Jesus. If you're able, please stand. may only be one but one is eternal to God worth everything but I know directed of the Lord that God wanted me to remind us of the imperative to speak a good word now we have to go live it out but I wonder if you would join me up front or wherever you're comfortable praying. And I wonder if you could just spend a little time with the Lord examining yourself. Maybe you could ask God to renew within you the right spirit and create in you a clean heart so that out of your heart could come a good word. Maybe you could ask the Lord here even tonight to sharpen your awareness. Maybe we could ask God to help us be acutely alert to people that need to hear a good word. I wonder if we could just spend some time making that commitment, examining our own selves, praying with one another certainly is always in order. There are needs and we will minister to those. But I wonder if we could just take a moment as a congregation here and online. I'm asking you to join me for just a little while here. It's still early in the evening. I wonder if you'd join me in asking God to create in you a clean heart and renew within you a right spirit, that God would let the words of your mouth be acceptable to him.